Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There is a story for everyone here, because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. If you guys listened to my conversation with Chris Voss on the art of negotiation, then you're really going to love my next conversation with uh, author and lecturer Derek Gaunt. Now, he's also part of Chris Voss's Black Swan Group, and he wrote a book called Ego Authority Failure. He's a trainer with 29 years plus of law enforcement experience, 20 of which as a team member, leader, and then commander of hostage negotiation teams in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. He is a hostage negotiation and incident command subject matter expert who frequently speaks at hostage negotiations and SWAT conferences across the country. So if, like I said, if you guys enjoyed my conversation with uh, Chris Voss about the art of negotiation, then you're really going to enjoy this one. This conversation did take place, uh, I believe it was last year. So it might be a little bit dated uh, in that respect, but not the content at all. The content still has a lot of relevance to what we are going through in the world today. And I hope that you guys really, really enjoy this one as much as I did. Uh, you can get a copy of Derek's book, Ego Authority Failure. Link for that will be in the show notes below too. But if you do get something from this one, please share it around to your friends and your family. Let everyone know about this one. Also, my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, is now available wherever books are sold. So you can go and get a copy of that. Links again will be in the show notes below to make it easier for you. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into the story box as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Derek Gaunt. Thank you very much, Jay, for having me. It's an it's a honor, it's a pleasure for me to be here with you today. Thank you so much for making the time. I'm glad we could finally make this happen. Uh, before we dive into your backstory, how this all got started, I have one question that I love asking all my guests at the start which is mm-hmm. the success look like to you? Success to me is, can you answer this question in the affirmative? Are you happy? Mm. Success to me is, are you doing the right things because they are the right things to do and not because you're looking for recognition or accolade? Can you look in the mirror and not be ashamed of the guy that's looking back at you. If you can answer yes to all of those questions, you are successful. I don't care what your station is in life. I don't care if you're, you know, the guy that picks up the golf balls on on a golf course or you're a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. If you can look in the mirror and answer yes to all of those questions, you're successful. Mm. What are some things that make you happy currently? My dogs make me happy. Um, Impacting other people's lives makes me happy. Um, I'm at the stage of the game now that I've got more 
in the rear view mirror than I do in the windshield. And so now you start thinking about what have you done? How have you contributed? How have you made your circle of influence better? And so I get a kick out of making people better, whatever that means to the individual uh, with the Black Swan Group. Time and again, we're having people come up to us and say, your stuff has changed my life. Not help me negotiate bigger deals, although that's, that's part of it. But the stuff is, is life-changing. And, and the gratitude that I get from hearing that come out of somebody else's mouth because of some piece of knowledge, advice, wisdom, technique that I imparted on them is, is, is worth all the gold. Mm-hmm. I have to definitely agree with you on that one. Um, I'm curious, when was the moment that you sort of realized that success for you was happiness? As a oh man, that's a great question. That's a good question. Um, hmm. I want to say it was probably, it had to have been around 2000, 2001. So this is a relatively recent revelation for me Mm. Um, because like most people, I spent the majority of my adult life chasing the brass ring. And um, it was about the time that I was going to get, I was going to compete to get promoted to the rank of Sergeant within my agency. And somebody asked me, why are you doing it? And I told them the reasons why. And he goes, just be careful. You're not doing it because you are looking for something better if you're happy now. And his words to me were never, it was a little bit more cool than this, but he said, never screw with happiness. Don't mess with happiness. It's elusive. And it's, it's like a unicorn. When you see it, you want to capture it and hold on to it for as long as you can. So that's probably the first time that I started contemplating happiness. And, and since he imparted that advice on me, every chance I get, I tell people, don't mess with happy. If you're happy, don't mess with it. Mm. You're right. Happiness is like sort of a fleeting emotion. I think. Yeah. Same, same thing with joy. In, in many senses, like I, I am joyful because I choose to be joyful. I wake up mm-hmm. with this attitude of gratitude, which makes me happy. So yeah. it's like this flow on effect that we create for ourselves. Like I know circumstances yeah. around us, like if they are tough or they are hard, they can sort of affect our mood. But we ultimately right. have a choice whether or not we want it to allow it to affect our joy or happiness or how we see life again. That's our right. I, I, I personally believe that. I don't know about you, Derek, but yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 you're right. It's all, about, it's all about attitude because this, this game, this, this thing, this thing called life is going to throw curveballs at you and, and especially in today's climate, there's so many, so much stimulus stimuli out there that's going to distract you. That's going to bring you down. That's going to try to redirect your thinking. And it's, if you've got the right attitude, my attitude has always been mind over matter. If you don't mind, it don't matter. And so having that mindset can turn every challenge into an opportunity, every challenge into uh, a, a, another chance for you to sharpen your blade. Challenges make you smarter. Failures make you smarter. And so if you, if you embrace your view of the world and you, and you really hone it in in that direction, you're going to be happier more than you're not because you keep things in perspective and you don't let the, you know, the challenges are going to affect you mentally. What does it do to your behavior? If it's, if it, if it has an adverse effect on your behavior, that's where you're going to meet with some obstacles that could send you into another place. 
So keeping perspective is, is about attitude and happiness is, is uh, inextricably tied to your attitude. So that's a very good point. You mentioned um, failures there, and I'm curious about what has been the biggest failure that you've ever had to face. Uh, the biggest failure that I had to face. Uh, wow. Probably. It would probably have to be um, failure in conveying adequately what the perception was from the point of view of my team during a a specific hostage barricade incident um, where we wound up, uh, we wound up losing the person that we were dealing with on, on the inside. And um, I, I've played that episode over and over in my mind. And I probably could have done a better job at articulating what our perspective was so that um, some of the decisions that were being made um, could have been vetted a little bit more. Um, it's, it's one that sticks with me forever. It'll stick with me forever because it was just a, it was one of those incidents where there was just a, it was a perfect storm of all of these negative things happening that wound up coming together and, 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 uh, blowing up. And so, uh, I chalked that up as a failure on, on my part, not to have articulated what my team's perspective was better with the people that were decision makers at the time. Mm. I want to ask you like what that story was, like what actually happened in that moment, if you're able to share. Um, the, the, the incident involved uh, an estranged father who had, against a violation of a court order, had abducted his son from his common law wife. And he barricaded himself in this particular, in his particular neighborhood, in his home. And um, we, he had refused contact for most of the night. The only time that we actually made contact with him on the phone was for him to pick up the phone and say, everything she told you is a lie. Go away. I don't need you here. I'm at home with my son. I didn't call you. Goodbye. And from that point on, there was no, there was no contact with him verbally. Um, we spent the entire night trying to establish contact with him. We knew he was still alive. We could see lights going on and off inside the house over the course of the night. And then he went into, and then uh, he ultimately fell asleep. Now, um, we were trying to figure out different ways to convince him to surrender uh, but with somebody that's not responding, it's very difficult to to influence them in that regard. And then sunrise comes the next morning. Um, my team, I sent my team home. My team was ordered to go home to get some rest because they had worked all day the previous day and then all night on this problem. And um, about an hour after they left, I left. Um, and then, uh, at about two o'clock in the afternoon, my team supervisor called me cause I, I had gone home and tried to get some rest. Obviously it didn't work out very well, but she called me and said, you got to get back here because, uh, things are getting crazy. And I get back there and I could tell that the, that the energy in the air had changed. Um, I describe it in the book as, it was like, you know, when a, when a storm's coming, a thunderstorm's coming because you can smell it in the air before the first raindrop hits. The, the, the wind starts to pick up and the leaves start to turn over. And that's the kind of feeling that I got uh, when I arrived back at the, at the scene. And uh, when I got on to the command bus, it was just, it was utter, it was chaos. And that's not 
where you want chaos is in the command bus. That's the think tank. That's where the decisions are being made. And there was just chaos. And um, I approached one of the incident commanders that uh, had worked the previous day. And I said, you know, what's going on? And he goes, um, we're going to have another team come in and relieve our SWAT guys so they can get some rest because we're going to, to execute a hostage rescue. And there's hostage rescue. There are, there are not two more ominous words when you're dealing with this type of event, because that is one of the two places within a hostage taking event where the hostages are in the most jeopardy. They're in the most jeopardy when they're first taken. And then when we go in and try to save them, that's, that's when they're also in jeopardy. So I explained that to him and I asked him what changed. And he said, uh, we're not sure how much longer the kid is going to remain unharmed. So I told him that everything that we have uncovered indicated that, that this kid was going to be fine with his father unless and until somebody tried to get in between him and the father. So again, what changed? Um, SWAT guys are concerned about the long gun that was behind the front door of the house. I said, we knew about the long gun this morning. What changed? Um, mental health said that he, he may be suicidal. I said, well, mental health were saying that early this morning. So what has changed? Trying to get him to think. And, um, ultimately he told me, we're not going to let this go into another night, which is crazy when you're thinking about someone being held by someone else that you're going to let time dictate what actions that you're going to take. And so um, had I done a better job at articulating what I knew when I knew it, as far as mental health was concerned, what our threat assessment was, uh, as far as the relationship between the boy and the father, and um, my assessment of the, the long gun, the shoulder fired weapon that they thought was behind the front door. Had I done a better job at doing it, at, at relaying that information, um, maybe what occurred might not have occurred or, or the decision-making that was leading up to them considering a hostage rescue, which is, as I said, one of the most dangerous things you can do. The decision-making may have been a little bit different. Now, to be clear, the actual shoot was justified. There's just, there's, there's no way around it. He came out, he, he had all, he came out, he's the one that elected to come out with the gun. He's the one that elected not to drop the gun. And, and as a result, he's no longer with us. So I'm not taking issue with the shoot. I'm taking issue with all of this decision-making that was made up until the actual shoot. It went against policy procedure, um, and it went against best practices. And the only reason that it went that way is because I didn't enough. I didn't do enough to address what I talk about in the book. I didn't do enough to address the egos that were in the room. So, do you blame yourself ultimately for the result? No, no. I got a clear slate, clear conscience on the result because. The decision ultimately in any of these events, the decision on whether they come out vertical or horizontal is theirs. At any point in any of these incidents, the person on the inside can put their weapon down and walk out and nothing physically is going to happen to them. So I, 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 I absolve myself of any guilt that might be attached with that where um, where I kick myself is not doing enough to tamp down the egos that were in the room, not calling it out as I saw it start to rear its ugly head. 
Um, and, and in part, it, it could have been because I, I didn't believe it. You know, the concept that I'm talking about, there, there's a name for this. It's called the action imperative. That's, and the action imperative is, is when someone starts to exude influence on the process in order to, quote, speed things up. And I, it had been taught to me before. I had heard about it before. I had never seen it in action. And so I was as much awestruck by what I was seeing as anything else. And, um, and so I was probably stunned and that's probably what, uh, impeded my cognitive ability at that point. Um, but in hindsight, there were, there was ample opportunity for, for me to ask those questions sooner. Why are we thinking about doing that? What are we hoping to accomplish? You know, there was one point, um, where they were going to, they actually were going to, um, they were going to break and rake a window to, to get a response from the guy. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, what, what response do you think you're going to get from this guy? You go up and break and rake his window with a, with a, a robot. What response do you think you're going to get from him? He's going to wind up shooting the robot or something worse. He's going to think it's an actual assault and and he's going to, uh, take the kid's life and then ultimately take, take his own. So that's what I, that's what I have guilt about. That's what I kick myself about, um, by not addressing the ego that was involved in the decision-making sooner. Mm-hmm. So when, when ego does rear its ugly head, what are some strategies that you've learned over the years to subdue it? Ah, that's a good question. Uh, recognize it for what it is. Ego is, a, is, is an emotion. It's tied to your self-preservation. Self-preservation is an instinct that all of us possess. And when uh, our ego is encroached, we get defensive because whatever is encroaching our ego is a threat. And what happens when there is a threat? You're, that that uh, group of cells at the base of your brain fires up, it activates, and it blocks your executive functioning. Everything that's supposed to go on the prefrontal cortex doesn't go on because you're operating from a highly emotional state. I know for a fact now, and this comes after years of just doing what I do, that um, I'm going to be challenged. I'm going to be affronted. I'm going to be attacked. I'm going to be offended. How do you respond to that? Your ego will tell you to respond negatively your ego will tell you to respond and attack back and the problem with attacking back is now you've put your counterpart whoever is challenging your ego into a negative state and now their amygdala is fired up now you got two people with fired up amygdalas trying to have a conversation and so mentally preparing myself that the ego is going to show up It's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, your ego and authority should be on display at times. When are those times, you know, when, when it's, when it's an emergency situation or time is of the essence, there's a certain level of exigency that you need to consider. The, the, um, the analogy I like to use is when the enemy is inside the wire and you're passing out the last rounds of ammunition, as a leader, your ego and authority should be on display because lives are hanging in the balance. You're up against a, a deadline before the opportunity to um, close this deal is realized. Your ego and authority better be on display so that you can get the things that you need lined up to make your, your opportunity a, a, a success. The problem with ego and authority is we don't operate in an exigent environment 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so the challenge is how do you tamp it down? How do you turn it off? And the first way to do that is to say to yourself, literally say to yourself the mantra, it's not about me. It's about the other side. And as soon as you start to look at every difficult situation, every interaction, that way you start to subordinate yourself. 
subconsciously you start to subordinate yourself to the other side. And so it's, it's all a, it's all a mental game as, as we talked about when we, uh, when we kick this phone call off, it's all a, how a, a mental state. And so I know for a fact, do I have the authority to make you do something? Yes, I do. If you're my direct report. Yes, I do. And my ego will tell me, I'll just go in there and tell Jay, do it because I said so. Mm-hmm. But who wants to work around a person who is just issuing orders and pushing people around? Not many people. Do. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. That's that's the follows that age old adage that people don't leave jobs; they leave bosses because of ego and authority. So that's a long way to answer the question: How do I manage it? I recognize the fact that. I don't know everything. I recognize the fact that the people that are so associated with me are talented people. They've got skills. So get out of their way and let them do their job and know when it's appropriate to exercise your ego and authority. 99% of the time, it doesn't need to be on display. I love long answers. <laughs> it, it's fascinating stuff because it gives me a chance to think about more questions that could possibly pertain to that long answer. One of them that I had was around ne- negotiating around ego and recognizing that ego is present within us all. And when it rears it ugly, its ugly head, convincing somebody or negotiating around that and convincing them to actually subdue it. And is there a particular way that we can actually better do that? Like, is it, because I know that when, as human beings, I know we get in confrontations and all that sort of stuff, the ego can dominate most of the time and that authority. So what has been the best way you could say to diffuse a person that is angry, frustrated, and hot-headed, doesn't really have a grasp on, on their actions currently? Um, the easiest way to diffuse it is to identify it. Go directly at it. Our job in hostage negotiations was to deal with the negative emotions and dynamics from the perspective of the hostage taker in order to return them to a normal functioning level. And that skill 
applies to any difficult conversation in any circumstance. So if a guy or your woman is frustrated and they're they're angry, they're operating at an intense emotional level in response to what they view as a highly stressed event. And that impacts their cognitive ability. They are in fact dumber than they otherwise should be. Mm-hmm. People's, people's brains work up to 31% better when they are in a positive state. How do you put them in a positive state? Recognize those negative emotions and dynamics as they see it by pointing it out. I'm sorry. It sounds like I just said something that offended you. You seem highly agitated right now. Each one of those starts to diffuse that negative. It's not gonna, it's not gonna be immediate, but it's your first steps. We're looking at the incremental use of identifying the negative emotions and dynamics as they see it. It's not gonna be one swing of the ax and they're automatically gonna calm down. It's gonna take several swings of that ax before that tree actually falls. But it starts with you identifying their perspective and then vocalizing that identification. Intuitively, most of us are great at recognizing the perspective of another person. Where we falter is verbalizing. We falter by ver- we falter in verbalizing it because we don't want to A, inflame the situation, B, get it wrong, or C, get attacked. And so we tend not to, but regardless of the situation, regardless of the person, we have an innate desire to have other people understand what they're going through, how they feel, what their circumstances are. Listening is the cheapest and most effective concession that you can make one person to another. When you start to speak with them in a manner that shows them that you clearly recognize what they're going through, people will open up, situations will become diffused, and you will separate yourself from the majority of the population out there because that level of listening takes too much work for people to be bothered with it. Most of us are lazy. And the type of listening that I'm talking about, empathetic listening, it takes too much effort. So when you are the recipient of it, boy, you recognize it right off the bat. And because 90% of the population doesn't talk that way, when you get someone who is actually dialed in and listening to exactly every word that's coming out of your mouth, it feels so good that you can't wait to give them more. And so... um, that's the easiest way to address someone who's coming at you, who's angry or frustrated to the point that they can't see that their actions, their behavior is counterproductive. Address the negatives as they see them, return them to a normal functioning level, and then try to use some trust-based influence to get them to change their behavior. Most of the people start talking about reason and logic when they're being attacked and they're baffled why the other side can't see that this is not that big a deal. It's because you haven't taken the time to address the negatives as they see them, not as you see them. That's a good point. I like that. Um, Getting my brain thinking. I want to ask about, do you have any regrets at all? over your career, your life, any regrets? Um, I could have in my time in law enforcement been a better father, been a better father, a better husband. I did not know what the, the toll that the job was taking on me, I did not know I brought it home to the, the, to the extent that I did until after I retired. And 
uh, my wife and I were sitting around talking one day and she said, you know, I didn't like you then. There was a good portion of our adult time together where I didn't like you. Um, Because of who you had become at work. And I was so focused on the job that I didn't pick up because that doesn't happen in a vacuum. I'm sure there were signals that I missed completely, but I didn't know it had gotten that bad where she, she said she was, she had actually, actually contemplated leaving. And, and, and I was oblivious to it, no clue. And I was crushed when she, when she told me, because here I am thinking, I, I've got, I've got the, I got the world by the tail, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I've got the, I've got the sexiest job in the police department right now as a commander of the hostage negotiation team, commander of the violent crime section. I mean, I was, I was, I was the guy that the police called when they were in trouble. You know, when, when, when there's, you know, three bodies laying in an alley from gunshot wounds, they were calling me and my team to come out and try to put the puzzle pieces together. Um, Whenever there was a hostage taking, they were calling me and my team out to manage the hostages. So I, I, I thought I was, I thought I was it. I thought I was the man. And as much energy and effort that I put into my job, I did not put into my relationship with my family, specifically my wife. And and when she told me that, I was blown away. I was blown away that um, that I missed it. That I was that ignorant. And didn't pick up on any of those. So I never thought she was um, she was miserable. I never thought she was contemplating leaving. And so that's 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 a huge regret mm-hmm. is what I missed and how much I damaged the the relationship. What did that experience teach you about being a man? You, <laughs> understand what's what's important in life because at the end of the day look who i'm still with and look who i'm without i'm not i'm not a cop anymore um there's probably three to four people that i still talk to back at my old agency and so I poured all of that energy and effort into that job and into those relationships for what? They're gone now. And I didn't pay as much attention to my home life. And I almost lost that. And she's still here. And so as, as, as a man, as a person, it goes back to what we started talking about earlier. Keep it in perspective. What's important? Yeah, the 12 hours that you're at your job, that's important. But once you leave that job, you got to focus. You got another job to do. You got you to focus on keeping the family intact. I mean, there were times. Uh, I, I missed birthdays. There was uh, Christmas Eve. What year was this? Christmas Eve. Ooh, 2007, Christmas Eve, 2007, we're, we're wrapping gifts and we're doing the holiday thing. And my phone starts to vibrate and I got to go Christmas Eve. I know for a fact that I'm not going to be back by the time the sun comes up because of the call that I just received. And looking back on it now, that probably was the straw that broke the camel's back with her because that had been her life ever since I became a detective. Interrupted sleep, um, phone ringing all hours of the night. Um, but that, I think, now that I think about it, that was probably the straw that broke the camel's back. So what does it teach me as a man? Keep it in perspective. Yeah, you got a job to do. Leave that stuff at work. And pay attention when you're at home. Um, 
easier said than done, especially in, if you're in a uh, high profile job the way I was. But um, if you don't take time to tend to that relationship, you are going to lose that relationship. I, I was fortunate enough, enough that she didn't, um, but she very well could have. I could have come home one day and found a note on the refrigerator and everything gone in the house. That's where she was. So just as a man, focus on your relationships outside of work because they're much more important. Wow. That just uh, gave me a bit of a reality check there. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Um, two final questions for you, Derek, because I want to be respectful of your time. I know it's late there. Um, this is my legacy question. So I love asking this at the end. You've been able to reach the age of 100 and your friends have decided to put together a film for you <laughs> of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Then ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic. They just did. And they've shown it to you on your hundredth birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? <laughs> that's, that's, that's deep. Um, I did my best. I did my best to impact people's lives in a positive way. I didn't always get it right, but I did my best to provide people with ideas, with resources, with advice, with life lessons, so that they could make their own lives a little bit better. I, I tried my best to, to make other people's lives the best that I possibly could. That's what I want that, that film to show that um, I wasn't always, always, I try not to always think about myself and I try to give it back. I love that. That's what I, that's what I want my legacy to be. It's interesting that you, you said that because now I'm going to share something with you um, that, I, that I did not plan to, but it speaks to the importance of being able to positively impact other people's lives. Um, you may or may not know this, but I also coached basketball. I started coaching little kids when my daughters were young and I started and I coached all the way up into, into the high school level. And um, I was known as a stickler for accountability. I was going to hold you accountable. I didn't care what your talent level was. Everybody had to abide by the same rules. And I had a kid who clearly was athletically gifted above his peers. Um, but he had behavioral and attitudinal issues. And he was with me as a freshman. I had to deal with his, his attitudinal issues. He was with me as a sophomore. Um, you know, I wound up suspending him a couple of times. Um, I wound up, you know, I had discussions with his family. I remember one time he showed up late for practice. And this was, this was probably um, his third offense. And so when he walks into the gym, I'm, I'm wound up now. I'm, I'm my, my ego and authority are about to be on full display. And I, and I, and I launch into this kid and he tells me I, I didn't go home last night. And he says, my family, my mom and dad were fighting. And I, I just, I'm, I was tired of it. And I felt like this small, but his behavioral and attitudinal issues continued. So he left my school 
his uh, junior year, came back the senior year, okay? And I know he wants to play again. And everybody's excited that he's back. All his peers are excited that he's back because he's, he's, a, he's a funny kid. Uh, and again, he can, he can play. He's an athlete. There's no question about it. And I, t- I pull him in. I said, I'll extend to you the offer. You get one bite at the apple. That's it. And within a week, him and another kid got into it in the locker room. He smacks the kid. And so, boom, I kick him off the team. Parents call up, petition everybody. Thankfully, the administration backed my play. And he was gone. Now, I knew that this kid, I I hated to do it because this was his one release, his one outlet. Now he doesn't have this. What What does that mean for him? And it meant that he started to spiral completely out of control. He left school, got into a bunch of trouble. I'm speculating he got into drugs. Several years after the fact, he actually wound up being involved in a shooting and he was incarcerated for that shooting. And so that was one of my failures, or so I thought at the time. So fast forward to last year, out of the blue, this kid sends me an email. And in the subject line of the email, it says mind over matter. If you don't mind, it don't matter. Body of the email. Coach, you taught me this. I've lived by this ever since I've been released and I'm trying to turn things around. I just wanted to let you know that you're still impacting me even though we haven't talked in all of these years. And I was blown away. And he sends me several pictures where he is now involved in competitive mixed martial arts. He sends me last spring, he sent me photos of him saying, hey coach, I just signed my first pro contract. Last week or last month, he says, I got a fight in your hometown. I want you to come see it. I said, sure, great, I'd, come, I'd love to come see it. This kid puts me in for honoring law enforcement, first responders and veterans for a VIP experience. I win the tickets. I go to see him fight last night. He and I go to lunch today and this kid pours out his heart to me as to what I meant to him. He said, there's two guys in my life whose opinion is so high, I will take it to the grave with me and that's you and my dad. And to have this kid tell me that my cutting him from the team was the best thing that ever happened for him. He's not holding a grudge. I'm still impacting his life. And he's still thinking about everything that I sacrificed for him and his peers during that time that I was coaching that basketball team. I was blown away. I was blown away by his, his sincerity, his candor, and how much he has grown up. And it's not all attributed to me. It, it goes back to what you were talking about, a change in the mental attitude. But I like to think that it took a long way and he had to go through a lot of hardship, but I ultimately saved this kid's life. And now he's doing the right thing for the right thing's sake. He's got the right, right attitude. He's picked himself up. He's dusted himself off. And he's attributing a lot of that success to me. So, um, yeah, impacting other people's lives is probably, as I get older, I appreciate it more and more. You know, it's interesting. I appreciate you sharing that story because if we didn't have a reschedule, because we were meant to do this weeks ago, if we didn't have a reschedule, I don't think we would have had that. That's right. That's right. That's such an impacting story. I don't even know where I'm going to go (laughs) to like from, from that, but 
it was just like a massive, a, a, a huge appreciation for myself being the age that I am. I'm only 24 and everything that I'm just remembering everything that I've experienced and been through and the people that have been there for me and have helped me along the way and given me advice and sort of told me I, I can do this, but I can't do that. And just all the, the level of pain that I've experienced as well. Mm-hmm. This day, like as I was sharing with you before, I would not be doing what I'm doing today. I would not be speaking to you today if I did not go through any of that. I wouldn't, wouldn't be able to relate to any of these stories or conversations with anybody if I didn't go through all those experiences. Yeah. It's an amazing thing, like going back to the perspective thing of you have a choice whether or not to put it into perspective, the right kind of perspective, mm-hmm. or allow the negative to take over that perspective in your life and cause you misery and pain and suffering and guilt and shame and all these other horrible emotions, but you have a choice to go the other way. Um, so I appreciate you, Derek, and everything that you're doing, all the impact that you're making, the the level of authority that you do have, but it's one of humility, not one of ego. And yeah, I like I, to think so. I appreciate that, man. So thank you so much for coming on the Storybox podcast and sharing. I enjoyed it. Uh, it was it was cathartic in a way. Um, uh, you 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 forced me to think about things that I hadn't thought about in a while, and um, and and get some things off my chest, vent a little bit. I like it, man. I'm I'm here to listen and here to learn as best I can, and here to help <laughs> if I can. <laughs> so thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.